It has a name but no keel yet, the Coast Guard's next polar security cutter. Shipbuilding is but one of the issues the Coast Guard is dealing with. At this year's Sea Air Space Conference, I caught up with the Coast Guard Commandant Carl Schultz. We talked about a range of issues, including the war in Europe. Tom, I think obviously what's going on in Ukraine, the, you know, the unjust invasion by Russia is it's got the attention of all the military forces, it's got the attention of the whole of the government of the United States. You know, we pay attention to uh, some of the sanctioned individuals and some, there's some ties to, to vessels. There's Ukrainian, Russian sailors on vessels. There's some are mixed crews. You know, we've had less than a dozen, dozen and a half of folks that have sort of walked off the ship. So we're, 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 we screen through this, you know, notice of arrival to the United States ports, advance notice of arrival. We're screening what crews we can tell you you know, in what geographic Coast Guard areas, basically by districts or sectors, who's planned to arrive. So we got good situation awareness there. We're tracking vessels that are potential, you know, um, targets of sanction activity. And then, uh, you know, we were in the, up in the um, Black Sea back in the spring. We, we were training, we had a national security cutter, the Hamilton up there. We actually uh, partnered and did some capacity building with a couple former Coast Guard Island-class patrol boats. One sits on the bottom of the ocean now, the former Coast Guard Code of Cushing. So we've got a, a, a relationship with the Ukrainians from an, from an operational standpoint. So yeah, we're, we're obviously, as the maritime sort of infrastructure lead agency um, for cyber, you know, obviously there's an awful lot of talk about, you know, might Russia mount some type of cyber attack on Ukraine. We've seen some demonstrated behaviors there. Might they mount activities other places a lot of talk about energy right now we're, we're we got our you know department talks about shields up we're paying a lot of attention in coast guard cyber to make sure um looking at our own defensive capabilities and looking across the maritime sector which is such a key enabler of our united states economy so i would tell you on all fronts we are paying attention and it's shaping our thinking a lot of induction on the antenna you might say yeah absolutely just switching gears here you mentioned uh, that you had revealed the name you did the fun part of telling the name of the first polar security cutter. I think the important news is it is the first polar security cutter. Update us on that whole program. Sure. So we did announce the uh, the state of the coast is going to be the Polar Sentinel, and um, kind of pulling the polar name from the from the Polar Star. You know that's important to us. We are working with VT Halter, the shipbuilder, and they are maturing the design. Hoping to see some, you know, steel being cut here in the coming months. I think that'll be another exciting point. That is a complicated ship. You know, it's a 23,000-plus ton ship. It is a 460-foot across the waterline, finished azipods, a lot of international components and design work. You know, the last two years with the pandemic really made some of that collaboration very challenging. So we have slipped the uh, the delivery date to the spring of 25, but that's going to be a world-class non-nuclear powered ship, very capable um, state of, of the market, and we're excited about that. So I would tell you, you know, I've continued to talk in, you know, that's a ship program record of three, but I think the conversation really needs to right. be about more heavy breakers, more polar security cutters, and um, again, I'm excited the Polar Sentinel builds on Polar Sea, Polar Star's reputation, and kind of playing that forward here. What makes it polar in terms of operation versus just a regular cutter? Well, when you think about, you know, the high latitudes, you know, the polar breaker, it can break through multiple feet of ice. I think it's six to eight feet, you know, continuous speed over ground, about six knots. You can back and ram through ice as thick as 21 feet. You know, that's a different type of hull design. I talk about a 23,000-ton ship. You know, you look at the, you look at an Arleigh Burke's destroyer, and you're up around north of 10,000 tons. This is a big, heavy ship at 460 feet. It's very dense. The hull form, the azipods, 
it, the polar designation is it's going to be operating in the polar regions. You know, this ship will have year-round access to the Arctic. You know, we won't be on the Antarctic continent all the time, but we'll be down there more so than we are today. Today, the Polar Star, our sole heavy breaker, makes one trip to break into uh, McMurdo Station and resupply the natural science facility there. We will have an increased presence in the high latitudes on both poles in the future. And for the techies, that idea of an azimuthing propulsion, that's something the Navy has does not do and doesn't plan to. So that, that's a distinctive piece of technology for the United States. Isn't yeah, it? so we use some, some azipod drives on our, on our buoy tenders, our 225, 175-foot buoy tenders. But this is a different application in the, in the ice you know, choke waters of the high latitudes. And, uh, you know, the Finns have used this and other nations with, with high success. We're very excited. You know, the Polar, the Polar Sentinel actually have two azipods and there's a centerline drive shaft too a little bit, which is a unique combination. But it's based on a, a, a German design initially, and it's going to be a, a real world-class icebreaker. We're speaking with Admiral Carl Schultz, the commandant of the Coast Guard. And zooming back out here from the technological issues, you recently gave the latest State of the Coast Guard address. Yep. And you mentioned trends in autonomous technology, offshore wind even. Just give us a quick overview of the state and what it is you're responding to writ large. These yeah, days. you know, so Tom, sort of pulling the conversation back here to domestic. You know, I look at the, you know, we sit in the part, Department of Homeland Security. The security of the homeland is a big part. There's navigational safety. You've got more recreational boaters on the water than ever before. The pandemic saw about a 15% uptick in the number of recreational boaters, from paddlecraft to boat owners. We had an unfortunate increase, about 25% more fatalities on the water, more accidents. So we have a, a basic safety functionality there. We use our auxiliarists, our, our active duty forces. You know, I look at the energy. There's permitting permits out there. The Bureau of Ocean Energy Managed BOEM permitted about 1,700 wind turbines off the eastern seaboard alone. I was in Jacksonville here Thursday, and Jacksonville is where you got LNG-powered cruise ships. They have one there, more ships coming. We bunker LNG there. That is unique. You know, we are the third largest exporter of LNG in the world now before we're an importer. So there's just a lot of changing landscape. Renewable energy, wind will go to the Gulf. There's talk about, you know, floating, renewable because of the water depths of the Pacific. So there, it's, a, it's an increased amount of technical sophistication on the waterfront. We've got to match and pace our workforce to be able to work in those increasingly sophisticated domains. And we have to have sufficient Coast Guardsmen in the training. So we have a Marine Inspector Performance Sport Architecture that's looking at how we train our people. So there's a lot going on and the Coast Guard wants to be leading that. Not to mention, we talked cyber before, so I won't rehash that, but all this is a cyber component about how do you, sure. you know, potentially shut down the nation's largest ports to joint complex of LA and LB, 40% of the goods that come to this country through one port. Boy, you shut that down with a cyber attack, you're not going to have goods in the heartland 90, 72, 96 hours after such an attack. So we need to be defensive in our efforts there as well. And that offshore power, that in other words, that's a hazard that's out there in the water, basically, for the Coast Guard well, if, and for if, shipping. Well, if, if we do do this right, so we have the safety piece. You know, Bohm looks at the energy and those pieces. We need to we're doing what we call port access route studies along the entire eastern seaboard. We want to make sure offshore renewable energy, fishing interests, commercial traffic, recreational traffic, we need to sort of look at that through a marine spatial planning lens and make sure all those things coexist. The renewable energy and drive down emissions and, you know, for long ball for the, for the good of the nation. But our role is ensuring the safety piece of that, you know, the enabling of commerce piece. So those are where we're uh, working real hard to, to put a strong voice into that. 
Okay, a couple of lightning round questions. The shore facilities reconstruction, progress report there. Yeah, so I I spoke here at Sea Airspace with the Commandant of the Marine Corps and the CNO, and I said one of the challenges, I think we've, we've had a compelling narrative about a ready Coast Guard and funding that. We pull a large backlog of infrastructure problems, old facilities, we've been putting patch and roofs, we gotta build some home ports for our new vessels. We got about $1.4 billion of shore work going on. We got to press in on that. You know, I have a couple budget hearings in my remaining two months. I will talk extensively about the criticality of a ready Coast Guard, but part of that is our infrastructure that our men and women, our platforms operate. So that is that is a work in progress. I will pass the baton to my successor. I have a feeling the 27th Commandant will talk a lot about the infrastructure to enable the Coast Guard to be successful. And the electronic health record, which yep. you're also... So EHR, MHS, MHS Genesis, we're sort of a leader on that. Um, our transition is going smoothly. I'm excited where we're at here a little bit. I've, I've heard, you know, we've gone live across the Coast Guard, so I need to get an update on that. But so far, um, no news I take as good news. I think we're moving in a very constructive direction with that. So you're ahead of DOD really on that? Well, we're, we're partnered with DOD and the VA, and I'd say we're I think we might be a little further along in terms of adoption in the service, but it's a, it's a collaborative effort there, but I think it's a, a good story emerging here. All right, and then you, there was a tough report on sexual harassment and assaults for the Coast Guard last year. You testified on that. Just a progress report there. Yeah, I would tell you I think um, the topic of sexual assault, sexual harassment across the armed forces is a very difficult topic. Any one case is one case too many. So um, I think you know emerging out of this is we are putting more resources, more victim advocates, um, more folks with expertise. I think we've broadened the, uh, the thinking of our workforce to come forward if you, if you have a harassing situation or assault situation to seek out help. We've broadened the criteria about you know, you know, your ability as a victim to protect that or not protect that. So we're working hard at it. I mean, but until we drive that type of behavior out of our ranks, there is work to do. And uh, you know, I'm encouraged that we're thinking into it, but again, I want to have zero victims. Will that ever happen? I don't know. I think it's a challenge across society, but the armed forces are absolutely, and, you know, we made some changes at, at, at the National Defense Authorization Act. The Coast Guard will file suit. We're, we're taking a different approach. We have broken trust with victims, so we've got to, through a new way of approaching these cases, you know, a little bit outside view. Um, I'm always a fan of the commander being in decision-making, but I think this different way of adjudicating these cases with some outside expertise, will hopefully you know restore that trust with the victims and, and get us to a better place. And finally, how about recruitment and retention? How's how's the intake going? Yeah, we look for about 4,200 enlisted members each year. About 600 are reservists of that, so about 3,600 active duty, about 500 officers. On the officer side, sufficient numbers between officer candidate and academy. It's about a 50-50 split. Some direct commissions in that 500 number. You know, going and finding 4,200. Americans off the street to want to join our enlisted ranks, you know, it's very competitive. You know, about 25% of America's youth are eligible to serve when you take out all those things that limit you from military service. And then those with a propensity, usually it's because they know somebody to serve, a neighbor's talked to them about it. You know, you're down to about 10, 11% of that. And then the other service with a little bit deeper pockets are throwing a lot of bonuses to show up. So we're working hard. That said, you know, it has not been an easy environment. We win when our recruiters are on, you know, the ball games and the schools. There hasn't been a lot of that with the pandemic. So we got almost 3,350 last year of a 4,000 goal. I, I, told our, I told our recruiters, I said, if you got north of 2,800, I would spike the football. They got 500 plus of that. But we do need to get up to that full 4,200 to be the Coast Guard the nation needs here. And baseball opens tomorrow, so you'll be 
maybe there. Maybe we'll be a baseball. We're going to be out there. We've got to bring, honestly, we've got to bring more recruiters on, and, and we are working hard, Tom, to be a, na- a Coast Guard reflective of the nation. So it's not just, you know, butts and seats. We want more representative butts and seats of the nation we serve. So it's, it's we've got to get to places where we hadn't recruited successfully as, as, as much as we need so in the past. And that's Coast Guard Commandant Carl Schultz. I spoke with him at this week's Sea Air Space Conference at National Harbor. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. As we continue to face COVID-19, we're now facing flu season. Influenza has the potential to infect millions, putting lives and the healthcare system at risk. Now more than ever, it's essential to protect yourself from influenza by getting the flu vaccine. The flu vaccine is safe and effective and can't give you the flu. To protect yourself and those at highest risk, get your flu vaccine. Learn more at michigan.gov slash flu. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. (coughs) Cough and cold season is here. Introducing Ricola Max Throat Care, Ricola's most powerful drop yet. It's the best of Swiss nature wrapped around a powerful liquid menthol center for maximum relief from your worst cough and sore throat. Maximum nature for maximum relief. Try the new Ricola Max now, available in the cold and cough aisle. It's in our nature.